Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is a sermon I preached at Sojourn East in Louisville, Kentucky. And finally, our scripture this morning comes from Luke 7, 1 through 17. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to the town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Morning, friends. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And if you're visiting with us today, we are so glad you're here as well. This uh, picture we're going to put up here is a picture of a guy you've probably never heard of named Charles Kellogg. No relationship to the cereal, but Charles Kellogg lived from uh, 1840, no, sorry, 1868 to 1949. He, so he grew up in the 70s and 80s, that is the 1870s and 80s, uh, in California. And he was a, an interesting guy. He was a very early naturalist. Uh, he was an advocate. He saw the destruction of the Redwood Forest happening. He was concerned about that. Well, what's most interesting about him from early childhood, like he basically grew up in the mountains and the woods, he learned to imitate almost any, I mean, any bird sound and actually many other animal sounds as well and became very famous. He eventually even had a recording contract with one of RCA or something like that because he could imitate any bird sound, many animal sounds, attract birds and other animals to come to him and converse with them. And he was definitely an odd bird himself. He was really a man out of time. He was kind of like a a California hippie a hundred years earlier. He was a vegetarian. 
He refused to own a gun. So this is in the 1800s. Think about this. And he had, he talked about the love for all creatures. And most interestingly, he took a 22 foot, three ton redwood that had fallen and he hand dug it out, dug a hole underneath it, put a chuck chassis under it and drove it all over the country uh, in like a mobile home made out of this huge piece of wood to support, you know, saving the redwood forests. Now, one of the most amazing things about Charles Kellogg, though, is that he discovered and using his voice and developing his, all his skills with his voice that he could actually extinguish a flame even from a distance with his trained voice. And he did this more than once, including on a radio broadcast. And he also developed a technique with a bow and some tuning forks to put out a fire across a great distance. Now, you can imagine... He was a controversial figure. Some people believed he had the ability to do those things. Some people did not believe. I had read about Kellogg some time ago, but I'd forgotten about him until this week as I was meditating on our stories from Luke chapter 7 today, and I was reminded of him. These stories that we just heard read and we're going to look at about really an almost unbelievable authority, even exercised over a distance, and the fact that some people believed and some people did not. And we'll see more of this in a moment. I just want you to keep that in mind. Now today, we are continuing in our storying through or preaching through the gospel of Luke. And Luke's goal, like all four of the gospels, is to record for us an account of of who Jesus Christ was and who he is so that we might understand what he taught and what he did so that we might become disciples, that we might actually follow him and and trust in him and become more like him. For some of you today, I realize that maybe you don't know what to think about Jesus. Maybe you're really unsure. Maybe it's your first time in church in a long time. Maybe you've been coming, you don't know what to think. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home and you don't know what to think personally. Maybe for some of you, you're at the very beginning of your journey of following Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus a long time. Maybe some of you have been following Jesus a long time, but you're not sure anymore. Wherever you are today, that's okay. And actually, the message of the Bible is just the same. We all need a clearer picture of who Jesus is, both what he taught and what he did, so that we can follow him more fully. And this is what Pastor Kevin and I are committed to doing each week. We're not up here to give a TED Talk again, or a pep rally, or a theological lecture, or we're not here to stir you up about how bad America is getting and how we need to defend X, Y, or Z. Whether our goal is to help us all understand more clearly from Holy Scripture who Jesus is and invite you and invite myself to take another step in the journey of trusting in him and following him so that you might find the fullness of life that's only found and him. And so over the last several weeks, as we've been going through Luke, and the last recent weeks, we've been experiencing some pretty challenging teachings from Jesus in what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus talked, if you're here, or you can go back and listen to the, to the sermons, 
Jesus talked about loving our enemies and paying attention to our own hypocrisy, paying attention to our tendency to judge others. Remember the, the plank and the speck idea? Last week, we saw Jesus talk about the necessity of really looking inside and paying attention to who we are on the inside, not just on the outside, because who we are on the inside is who we really are, and that's going to bear fruit eventually in our lives. And now, after those teachings, Luke now turns back to not just what Jesus said, but also what he did. And we have these two stories from chapter 7 in front of us that are truly, even among all the miracles Jesus did, truly remarkable ones, performed for people who are in desperate situations. One for a Roman centurion and one for a widow. So we're just going to look at these two stories today and then just ask, what is God saying to us from these? So we had them read, but I'd love for you to look at them in in a Bible yourself because I'm not going to reread all the verses. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to, there should be some in the the racks in front of the seats in front of you, and it's on page uh, 838 in there. If you're not familiar with where things are in the Bible, that's totally fine. Um, Or you can pull it up on your phone, Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at these two stories, and let's start with the first one that begins in verse 1. I'm not going to read all this, but again, after this Sermon on the Plain, now Jesus, you see in verse 1, makes a geographical move to the town of Capernaum, which is a little village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And this really is Jesus' home base. He does a lot of his ministry out of there. In fact, back in Luke chapter 4, he was there already. He had taught in the synagogue, and he healed a demon-possessed man, very likely the same synagogue that our story occurs in. And now in our story, we're going to see another example of Jesus' power to heal, and this time, again, the healing of this sick servant. But really quickly, when you start reading this story, you realize this, although it is a healing story, that's actually not the main point of it, because something else happens. And the something else centers on the person who appears in verse 2, who is a centurion. And it's important to understand if you don't realize this, that this isn't just saying, you know, Jesus met another man and healed him. To say that this story is going to be about a centurion, that is very unexpected. Because the centurions, they were the, the powerful rulers of a, of a group of soldiers of the Roman Empire that had been for a long time oppressing and persecuting and heavily taxing and occupying and tyrannizing God's people, the Jewish people. He, he was a soldier. He was a man, not just a regular soldier. He was high up. He had a lot of authority. Any Jewish person he saw, he could command them to do whatever he wanted, and they would have to do it. So he's the real boots-on-the-ground example of oppression, an example of um, you know, injustice. But we quickly learn in the story that this particular centurion, we don't know his name, but this particular centurion was not that way. He has good relationships with the Jewish people in Capernaum. It says the Jewish people come and say, he even built our synagogue. Whether he paid for it or provided labor for it, we don't know, but he's obviously very positive on the Jewish people. He's probably what's called a God-fearer or a proselyte, which is a group of Gentiles in the ancient world who, would, who saw Judaism and recognized there's something attractive about this. 
There's a strong sense of family. There's a strong sense of morality. There's a clarity that there's one God, not all these random gods of, of Greek and Roman religion. And so he's attracted to them. And then we learn something else about the centurion, that he has a servant or a slave. That's not a surprise. We also learn that this servant is very sick. Also, unfortunately, not a surprise. Many people, most people died quite young in the ancient world. But then unexpectedly, we learn from the story that he actually genuinely cares for his servant or his slave. So we see in just a couple of verses that this is not your run-of-the-mill centurion This is not just this hard-bitten, stereotypical, marine-style guy. He is compassionate, he's generous, and he seems to be a person of faith. And so, he's in this desperate situation, and he hears that this healer, maybe he had seen Jesus heal back in chapter 4, we don't know. He hears, hears that this healer is coming to town. And so he goes to his Jewish friends and he asks them if they would get him access to Jesus so that he might heal his servant. And they say, they go to Jesus and they say, he's worthy of this because he's done all these things for us. And at that point, Jesus could have said, no thanks, I'm going to pass. I'm the Jewish Messiah. I'm not going to help the Romans out here. But rather, if you look at verse six, it says, out of compassion, he goes with them. And then look at what happens starting at the end of verse six. So he was not far from the house. So Jesus is going to the centurion's house to help. And the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. The Jewish people said he is worthy of this, but he sees himself differently. He says, I don't deserve for you to come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me and I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant, do this and he does it. So you see our centurion continues to surprise us in this story because he shows an incredible sensitivity to the, to the social dynamics between Jewish people and Gentile people at this time that if a Jewish person were to come into his house, which Jesus was willing to do, By all standards, that would make that Jewish person unclean to be in the the home of a Gentile. And he's sensitive to this, so he understands authority, and he says, you don't don't even need to come. I I acknowledge your authority, and that is really remarkable. And in fact, if you look at verse 9, it says that even Jesus himself is amazed at this man's clarity and faith. He's impressed, and he says, this is faith. This trusting in my authority is faith that he's not found hardly anywhere else in Israel. And the story ends then rather quickly with the centurion's, the centurion's servant being healed. We're not giving any details about the, how the healing occurred because that's not really the point. The main point is something else. And you see, this man, he is in a desperate situation. He is desperate. Can you think of a time when someone you cared for is sick and maybe dying, that desperation. I mean, I, uh, in our family with six kids, um, thankfully all of our kids are healthy at this point, but I just, we, my wife and I always had a deal. Um, I would handle vomit and other bodily functions, but if a kid got hurt, I like freeze. (laughs) 
like even just a cut hand or something, and and just that feeling, and and that's just like a minor injury, but I think many of us have been in a situation where someone we love is not just a minor injury, but we feel the desperation that there's no way. There's no way for us to fix this situation. And what's really striking, I think, about the centurion is that you know, he's a man who's used to being in power. He has money, he has power, and now he's feeling what's actually true of all of us at all times, that he's really not in control. We'll come back to this when we come to Luke, but I've been reflecting a lot on this phrase, the deceitfulness of riches. And I think that means a lot of things, but I think part of what the deceitfulness of riches does to us, it gives us this false sense that we actually are in control of our lives when in the reality we never are. And this man experiences a place of desperation that he has no way out. And so I think the point of this first story is pretty clear that Jesus is very authoritative. He even heals from a distance and that the proper response to that is faith. It's a proper, the proper response is recognizing the desperate situation that we're in and responding in faith. But Luke doesn't stop there. There's a second story. Look at verse 11. So soon afterward, or the next day even maybe, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, there was a, a dead man was being carried out. And we're given this detail, the only son of his mother She's a widow, no father, and now her son has died. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the, the bier that they were carrying him on. It was like this, you know, this platform with poles. And, and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk And Jesus gave him back to his mother. It's not an accident that this story follows the other one because you have another person, maybe even more more than the centurion, who is in a desperate situation. Desperate. And what really struck me as I was thinking about these verses this week is, you know, it only takes us a minute or so to read them, just a few verses long. But if we can pause and think that even though we're getting this like, super short version of the story, think of all the tears, the anxiety, the grief, the memories, the fear that is entailed in this widow. There's no social security system. There's no government system to help. If anything, the government is your enemy in this scenario if you're a Jewish person. There's a widow who means she is going to be incredibly precarious financially and socially. That's already bad. And then she has a son, her only son, who would be her source of hope and and security, a son that she held in her arms as a baby. And now he's dead. And Jesus comes upon this scene of, of tears and black clothing and mourning and sober silence that's probably just only punctuated by occasional wails of grief. And once again, we see Jesus' incredible authority. Doesn't only here heal from a distance as with the centurion's servant, but he actually raises this man from the dead. And if you read the Gospels, you will see that there are literally 
innumerable times that Jesus healed people. It says that we often get these summaries, we get specific stories, but then we get these summaries that he just healed people all day long, multiple times. So we couldn't even count all the blindness and leprosy and broken limbs and deformed hands and skin diseases, all the things that Jesus healed. But of all those thousands of times that Jesus healed people, there's only three occurrences where he raised someone from the dead. This is one of them. In a couple chapters, we'll see Jairus's daughter also, and then Lazarus in John chapter 10. And so this, this is not only a healing from a distance, but this is something unheard of, to raise some, someone from the dead. It's really godlike. And did you see the response to it in verse 16? Let's look at those verses again. This is the crowd's response. It says, they were all filled with awe. They praised God and they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. And they said, I love this line, God has come to help his people. And the news spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So you see, there is a recognition that Jesus is more than just a wonder worker. I mean, this miracle really makes it clear. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a wonder worker. Something divine is happening here. And so this story really builds upon the preceding one in emphasizing Jesus' incomparable authority. But I don't want you to miss a little bit of the story that we read through quickly that would be easy to miss. Did you see it in verse 13? I think Luke wants us to understand something about Jesus here. Look back at verse 13. It says when, it, that he looked upon her and it says something like his heart went out to her. That means he had great compassion. In other words, when Jesus sees this desperate situation, he has compassion for her. And whether you know it or not, that's one of the most repeated things that's said about Jesus in the Gospels. I know I've said this from the pulpit before, but just good to remind you of when you analyze all the emotions that Jesus expresses in the Gospels, the number one of them by far is that he shows compassion. He cares deeply for people. And we see that his miracles, his feeding of people in the wilderness, all these things, the gospel writers always tell us that's not just because he's trying to show off. It's not even just that he's rightly showing his authority. It's out of actual compassion. And here it is in this story again. And so I just want to ask, these two stories together, what, what is God saying? Like what is Luke saying? And more importantly, what is God saying to us? And I think we can ask that. And I would sum it up with this. And I've put this on the screen here for you. That these two stories together, I think, make it very clear that with both power and compassion... God has come to help his people. With both power and compassion, God has come to help his people. I love that line again from 716. God has come to help his people. If you're reading another translation, it might say something like God has visited his people. And that's the same idea. God has come to help his people is a, is a fine translation as well. Because the idea of God visiting us to help and protect and provide and deliver. That's the great hope of the whole Old Testament that's looking forward to Jesus, that God is going to return and visit his people and help them and rescue them. And what I love about these stories together is that the emphasis is put on the fact that Jesus models who God is. He represents who God is by showing that God is both powerful, he has authority, 
and simultaneously compassionate. And this morning, I want to invite you maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, to to gain or regain an understanding, a true understanding of who Jesus is, that he is both authoritative, authoritative, he was both powerful and compassionate. As authoritative, he has, the bil- he has the ability, as we see in these stories, to heal, to mend, to restore relationships, to meet our needs, to fix our brokenness, to answer our prayers. He has that authority. And as compassionate, he looks upon our brokenness. He looks upon our needs, our desperate situations, not with disgust, not with apathy, not with Maybe how your parents responded to you, never really looking you in the eyes and never really paying you attention. But with great attention, he looks upon us with compassion. In fact, I think it's fair to say that Jesus is the incarnation of God's compassion. Again, we repeatedly see that his miracles and his teaching are are, are rooted in this. He is a powerful person. He, he rises from the dead. He raises others from the dead. He is described as a king. He reigns. He's given the name that is above every name. But just as important as his power is that thankfully that's combined with incredible love and compassion. Over and over again, this is what we're told. That Jesus bears with people. He cares for people and so too with us. And so I think what God wants us to understand today is that his response to our desperate situations is always this combination of both power and compassionate help. And maybe today you think of God as powerful, but you've not really thought of him or known him as compassionate. Maybe you recognize there's a God, but you don't feel like he really cares. They don't feel like he gives you compassion or attention. You acknowledge he exists, but that he's far and distant. Maybe others of us today maybe think of God as compassionate, but not really powerful enough to help in this mess of a situation. But friends, this is the point of these stories, that Jesus, as the exact representation of who God is, as the image of God himself, is showing that that is who God is and was and will be forever toward us. And sooner or later, maybe today you're aware of some desperate situation, a relationship or something else, but sooner or later, even if you don't feel that, we will all encounter situations where we run smack dab into the wall of our own limits, where we face what is actually always true of us, that we're not in control just like the centurion, just like this widow. And friends, here in those moments is God's kindness toward us. And that these desperate situations, those are actually the place where we can finally see ourselves clearly and we can see God clearly. These places of desperation where we've reached our limits are where our paper walls of self-control are knocked down. These are the the deep wells in our lives in which we might fall into and feel like we're falling, but from which we can look up and actually see the stars clearly. These are the 
the desolate and soul dusty places that we sometimes find ourselves in where actually the flower of faith can burst through our crusty hearts as it turns upward toward the sun. I like how one Christian counselor said it. She says that the place where we feel abandoned is the place where we can be transformed. It's precisely in those desperate situations, those desperate moments, that we see ourselves and God clearly. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be tears and grief and loss. I mean, that's actually what desperation looks like. But it's precisely in our desperation that God shows up with compassion and power. I trust you know this doesn't mean things will always work out as we would hope or as we would ask, but it does mean that we can remain utterly confident from these stories and a million other things that Jesus reveals to us that God has come to help. God has come to do good for us. And even in the midst of loss and brokenness and grief and disappointment, he does visit us. He does come to be present with us. And in the case of both the centurion and the widow, it's good to remember, again, we're, you know, we're giving these really short stories because there's a point to them, but there's a space in their lives where they did not know what the outcome was going to be. Where the desperation feels like it is the end of the story, and maybe that's where you are today. But this is not the end of your story. And God very well may be about to show up in a way that you do not expect, in a time that you do not expect, to bring a healing that you did not see. That's very possible. But even if that doesn't happen, the confidence we get from Holy Scripture is that he has come to help his people, that he's good, and that he always interacts with us on the basis of both power and compassion. And so today, he is inviting you and me to faith, even if it's mustard seed, to crying out in desperation for his help, just as both of these people did, for his healing, for him to sustain us. I started this morning by talking about this odd character, Charles Kellogg, this mysterious nature singer, as he was called, who could bring harmony, he could bring control to nature at a distance. To whatever degree, this was real. We don't know. To whatever degree these abilities are real or not, the stories we tell and the stories we're interested in reveal what we really long for. You realize that? Whether it's a Marvel movie or any movie or any story, if it touches you, that's a, that's a revelation of what you're made for and what you long for. And this is certainly true here. That these stories show us what is true of God and what Luke wants us to understand today, that there is the person that we long for who has both power to meet our needs and compassion in the midst of it, there is such a person. 
the God-man, Jesus Christ, who has visited us. He is God with us, Emmanuel, as we sang even today, with power and compassion. Last week, we, if you were here, we felt the sting a little bit of Jesus' challenging words to do the deep work inside. Today, I want you to feel the, the comfort of who he is for us in Christ. So Luke is inviting us today. I'm inviting you today. God is inviting you today. Whether you are currently in a desperate situation or not, to turn to the only one who is worthy of our trust and our faith, the beautiful God for us in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.